0: You're listening to Cross-Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. The center point of today's lesson is Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, which says this, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have? For his servant. When Joshua has this strange encounter. Israel has just entered the promised land at last. And they're about to engage the the peoples there in battle. And this enigmatic figure with a drawn sword. Appears and won't acknowledge whether he's on Israel's side. Or the enemy's side. Okay we'll talk about him some more in a few minutes. Along a different line of thought. Sandals. Sandals are important in the lesson this morning. They appear first in Deuteronomy 29, which comes just a few weeks before that man with the drawn sword appears. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 2, it says, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs, and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord, your God. Moses is reminding Israel how God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years, and notice what he says about their sandals. They wore the same sandals for 40 years, and those sandals did not wear out. Now, I like to do a little hiking when I'm feeling good, uh, and I've, I've got hiking shoes that I take out, you know, good on rocks and all kinds of terrain, and those hiking shoes, I can get them to last two to three years. If I really stretch it, maybe five years, you know. But that's about it. And then they're worn out and they fall apart. And those are modern hiking shoes. God caused Israel's sandals to last 40 years. And so those sandals became a sign to Israel of God's provision That just as he had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, he would also care for them wherever they went. But after 40 years, Israel still had trouble trusting God. Still did not have, to use God's words here, eyes that see or ears that hear. They still struggled to be faithful to God who loved them and had done so much for them. So as they, entered, uh, the, as they prepared to enter the promised land here in Moses' last days, they needed this reminder so that as they continued to wear those sandals that God had caused to hold up for four decades, they would also walk in those sandals in the direction that God wanted to lead them and not go off in their own direction, pursuing their own agenda. There are four parts to our story this morning. That was the first. The second and the longest is Joshua chapter 2. Now, this is just a few weeks later. Moses has died after giving his final speeches to Israel. And at God's direction, Moses' successor, Joshua, prepares to lead Israel into the promised land. And so uh, Joshua is sending two spies to go across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, scout out the area, especially the city of Jericho, which will be Israel's first target. It's just across the Jordan River, and here's what happens. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told. Look some of the spies. Have, uh, uh, look some of the Israelites. Have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house. Because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said. Yes the men came to me. But I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night... She went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed." When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the man had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This story is about the two spies, but Rahab steals the show. In fact, later, after the battle, she becomes an Israelite. Apparently, marries an Israelite man named Salmon, has a son named Boaz, and actually becomes an ancestor of Jesus our Lord. She's listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So the spies, having sneaked into Jericho get noticed somehow. It's one of the risks of being a spy. You might get caught. But Rahab hides them at risk to her own life. She lies about their whereabouts. She sends them away in the opposite direction from the search parties that go out looking for them. Now, why did Rahab, who was apparently a native of Jericho, that's where she lived at least, why did she turn away from her own people and join the Israelites? Well, look again at what she told the spies in verses 8 through 11. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab saw the power of Israel's God and knew his side was the side that she needed to be on. And and notice, her emphasis isn't on Israel, but is on the Lord as the source of Israel's power. And so it wasn't that she needed to be on Israel's side, it was that she needed to be on the Lord's side. The Lord was giving them the land. The Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea for them. The Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's the side she needed to be on. So she risked her life in order to be on the Lord's side where she believed that she and her whole family would be saved. The third part of our story this morning is that passage that we started with. It's the center point of this lesson. The spies have returned and encouraged Israel. Joshua has now led Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land for the first time. And he's preparing to send Israel into battle against Jericho. Then he sees that man with the drawn sword and the enigmatic message. And so, Joshua 5, verse 13 again. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Joshua, leader of Israel, looks up and sees a man standing there with a drawn sword. And naturally, he asks, whose side he's on? And the man answers, neither. Or more literally, as the English Standard Version puts it, Joshua asks, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. <laughs> but, as, but, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Are you on our side or our enemy's side? No. <laughs> it's like if you ask me, uh, What do you want for breakfast? Do you want plain oatmeal or oatmeal with raisins? No, (laughs) I don't. I don't like oatmeal at all. You you eat it for me. (laughs) I don't want it plain. I don't want it with raisins. This strange man is the commander of the army of the Lord. Is he on Israel's side or the enemy's side? No, he's not. Whose side is he on? He's on God's side. But isn't God's side Israel's side? Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Depends on what uh, Israel does, right? You know, everyone likes to think God is on their side. In war, both sides always, always claim that God is on their side. A few days ago, in a speech to a packed stadium, the president of Russia said the special operation in Ukraine is underway to, quote, save people from genocide. And he quoted Jesus saying in the Gospel of John, greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Why was he quoting Jesus? Well, because God is on his side. We're doing what God wants us to do. God's on our side. On March 6th, The president of Ukraine spoke to his nation about Russia and said, God will not forgive. Not today, not tomorrow, never. And if God's against the enemy, if he's not going to forgive the enemy, then he's on your side, right? So which is it? Both sides claim God's on their side. They can't both be right. Which side is God on? But that's the wrong question, isn't it? God loves and desires the people on both sides. But one or the other or both may not be doing what God commands, depending on the situation. And so it depends on who does what pleases God, right? Which way do they walk in the sandals that God has given them? And this happens in smaller conflicts, too. I remember uh, many years ago now, a woman uh, came into my office and wanted to talk. I said, great, let's sit down. We sat down at the table, and she uh, explained that she wanted me to take her side in her decision to divorce her husband. So I asked about the situation, got some of the details, and I declined to support Uh, her desire for a divorce, because A, there had been no adultery, which is the one justification that Jesus gave for divorce, and B, I saw opportunity for reconciliation if they were open to it. this woman left angry. She divorced her husband. And later on, she wrote me a letter to tell me that she had gotten over her anger at me because she realized now that I wasn't God and that God was on her side. Because God wanted her to be happy. And you know, you don't even need a conflict. What's my agenda today? Is my agenda today God's agenda or is it my agenda? When God says go left and I don't want to go left, I want to go right, so I go right, can I still claim credibly that God is on my side? Everyone says, Lord, Lord, help me. In a moment of crisis or when they're desperate, when they're afraid, But Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so at all these levels, international conflict, interpersonal conflict, personal decisions and conduct, the question is not, is God on my side? But am I on God's side? This is what the commander of the army of the Lord was saying to Joshua. He was about to give Joshua authority to lead Israel to war and to conquer people whom God had been putting up with for 400 years, whose sin had become so egregious that God finally determined it was time to drive them out of their land. Because God does judge in due time. But before Joshua and Israel went to battle, they had to make sure they were focused on doing God's will and not their own will. That they were pursuing his agenda, not Israel's agenda. That they were on his side, not expecting him to be on theirs. And here we come across sandals again. The commander tells Joshua, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Well, that may sound familiar to you, because it happened to Moses. Moses. At the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, God had told Moses at that moment to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. God did that as he sent Moses to lead his people, and now God is sending Joshua to lead his people. And Joshua does take off his sandals. First, he falls face down to the ground in reverence, then he takes off his sandals in recognition of God's holiness. And so to apply a a spiritual interpretation to this simple act, you might say that we take off our spiritual sandals whenever we reverently submit ourselves to God to do his will. We acknowledge that he is holy and we commit ourselves to being holy in service to him. And we submit to him to do his will. Through the commander... The Lord gives Joshua his orders for Israel. Here's how they're to attack Jericho. It's a strange battle plan in two parts. First part is going to last six days. Each day they're to march around Jericho once a day with all the fighting men, all the the army, whole army. And they're to take the Ark of the Covenant with them as a sign of God's presence. And the priests are to come and blow trumpets made from ram's, ram's horns. That's what they're supposed to do for six days. It won't be a long walk. Archaeological excavations of ancient Jericho have shown that marching around the whole city might have taken a healthy person about 30 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most, so just a short hike. On the seventh day, though, they're to march around Jericho seven times. That's a longer hike. And then they're to have the priests sound a long blast on the trumpets and have the whole army shout, and Jericho's defensive walls will collapse. And then the army will go up and take the city. and so this is what Joshua does. Joshua is on the Lord's side. He obeys God's command. So this is the fourth and final part of our story this morning. Picking up where we left off, Joshua 6 and verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, "'Marching before the ark of the Lord "'and blowing the trumpets. "'The armed men went ahead of them "'and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord "'while the trumpets kept sounding. "'So on the second day, "'they marched around the city once "'and returned to the camp. "'They did this for six days. "'On the seventh day, "'they got up at daybreak.' And marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then let's skip down to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, which the, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. And then skip down to verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Joshua and Israel were on the Lord's side. They obeyed the Lord's instructions. Israel marched around Jericho once a day for six days, then seven times on the seventh day. And when Jericho's walls suddenly collapsed, it was obvious that it could only be God who had won this victory for Israel, not Israel for themselves by their own power. They hadn't done anything. They had marched around the city. They had obeyed God's commands. That's all they had done. God had torn down the walls of Jericho himself. And the Bible doesn't say what Israel's fighting men and the priests wore on their feet as they marched around the city. But I'm guessing that they were wearing those same sandals they had been wearing for the last 40 years, the sandals that had not worn out in all that time. In those sandals, they marched where God sent them, they marched around Jericho in obedience to his command. Why did God knock down Jericho's walls and give Israel victory? Was it because he was on Israel's side? No, it was because Israel was on God's side. Of course, God was on Israel's side here. He knocked down the walls. He gave Israel victory. But first, Israel had to make the decision to obey the Lord. And they did. They were on the Lord's side. So now, you have a busy week ahead of you. And when we're finished worshiping God here this morning, you have places to be and things to do. God has provided what you need, just as he once provided for Israel. As you relied on him in the past, you'll be able to rely on him in the week to come. But whose agenda are you pursuing this week in all your plans? Are you listening for God's direction, like Joshua did? When he realized he was speaking to the commander of the army of the Lord, he asked him right away, what message does my Lord have for his servant? He wanted to do God's will. Are you taking off your spiritual sandals, showing reverence in the holy presence of the Lord? Are you putting those sandals back on, to go march wherever God sends you? Are you putting God first in your life like Rahab did when she turned away from the evil of her people and joined God's side where there is hope? Or are you trying to pull God over onto your side? And if you were to suddenly realize like Rahab that you're on the wrong side, would you switch and come over to the Lord's side one of the beautiful things about our God is that he receives every person who turns away from their sin and comes to him, no matter what we've done. Many of us here today are good examples of that. And Rahab, who we read about, is a good example of that. A prostitute living in an ungodly city. And yet, the moment she turned to God, she was accepted. Are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua asked. No, the man with the drawn sword said, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. The question is not whether the Lord is on our side, but whether we are on his. And if we are on the side of the Lord, then he will care for us and he will be on our side. And God bless you today. Let's pray. God, our Father, you know our hearts, you know our intentions, you know um, how selfish we can be sometimes, and yet you also know how we love you and seek you. And Lord, we pray that you would purify our hearts and that you would guide us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand how you've been there for us so many times and will continue to be. And so, knowing how good you've already been to us, Lord, let us walk with you in the sandals that you've given us, and let us come and be on your side where we may find peace and hope and strength. We thank you for your great love for Israel, and we thank you for your great love for us. In fact, we thank you for your great love for every person who will turn to you. And We pray, dear God, that, that our agenda this week might be whatever you want it to be. And we pray, dear God, that where there is conflict between two people, whether in a marriage or families or uh, friends at work or school or wherever it might be, that you would help us to be people of peace because you are a God of peace. And guide us, Lord, to do what is right. And Lord, where there's international conflict, where, wherever there is war in, in Yemen or in various places around the world, and especially, Lord, Ukraine's been heavy on our hearts, we pray that you will bring peace to the people there. Lord, we pray that uh, those who have invaded will um, change their hearts and depart and will uh, begin to work to make things right. We pray that those who are trying to defend their homeland uh, may be strengthened um, and may be successful. And we pray also, Lord, uh, that you would help them to do what is right and good because we know that when other people are hurting us, it's it's hard for us not to hurt them back. Lord, we pray for the, the children there. And those who have had to flee, uh, we pray, dear God, for our brothers and sisters in the churches there, as was mentioned earlier, and for those in Russia as well, that you would bring them peace with one another and peace with you, help them to be people of peace in their, uh, in their cultures and their, um, their nations. And Lord, bless us here in this land as well. Help us to do it as good and wise in your sight. Help us, dear God, as your church gathered here today to put you first in our lives in every way to commit ourselves to being on your side as Rahab did, as Joshua did, as Israel did, uh, that we may receive your blessing. We thank you for Jesus, who did your will in everything and gave his life for us, uh, that we might be brought uh, into peace with you. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, and as we follow him, we look to you and ask for strength. In Jesus' name we pray.